we gather together as your body, I pray that you would just be here. I pray that you would send the helper, the advocate, your spirit, God. I pray that you would be here and that you would just fill us. Father, um, as we go throughout this time, Lord, I pray that we would be drawn closer to you, that we would experience your presence in a way that maybe we haven't before, and that we would know you more as a result of that presence. God, we, we just want to know you. So, Father, I pray that you would make that happen today um, in a way that we can't, God, that only you can do. So, Father, we thank you for this time. I pray that you would be honored by it, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and let Steve hit play on this video um, that we were asked to share. Climb out of this boat and then under the crashing waves to step out of my Hi, my name is JC Dirks, and this is my wife Andrea, and we're here to tell you about the source, a local ministry that has helped thousands of young people right here in our community. The source is a medical pregnancy help organization. It empowers individuals to make healthy life choices through educational and medical services. They assist individuals who are at risk for, currently experiencing, or have previously experienced an unintended pregnancy. School presentations, parenting education, pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, STI testing, and spiritual mentoring are among the core services provided. All in all, The Source is a life-affirming medical clinic committed to bringing the hope of life to born and unborn, earthly and eternal, like our Creator, we stand opposed to abortion as a health care. Psalm 139, 13, and 16 says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. You may be thinking, how can I help with this organization? Well, it's easy. Starting today, there will be baby bottles available for you to fill with spare change, cash, or checks. Once they are full, or you have reached the end of the fundraiser, simply bring the bottle back to your church and leave it with one of our representatives. Please use these bottles to start conversations with your kids about how God adores and values the life of every individual and how He has a special purpose planned for their life even before they were born. God's love and acceptance for every mother is not based on her goodness, but His. He sees who she is and loves her with the depth that we cannot fully understand. You can share in God's love for mothers, babies, and families with your support of the source. Thank you for your donations and thank you for this opportunity to share with you the blessings that the source brings to our community. So the source is one of the ministries we we have the privilege of supporting and they have started their bottle drive. We have a box full of baby bottles. 
So if you would like to help with that on your way out, don't forget to grab a bottle. And I am going to make a note right now so I can remember to remind you at the end of our service today. So if you can and you are willing, I would encourage you to support that ministry. It goes through July 4th, so two weeks. Okay, so you have two weeks to fill them. Fill them. And I'm sure you can take more than one if you wanted to. I don't think anybody's going to argue if you fill feel too many. So uh, feel free. Um, that's one announcement. The other announcement I have for you all is that today is Father's Day. Do you all know today's Father's Day? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask you to do something so I don't have to embarrass you later. If you're a father in the room, could you, could you stand for me? You know, I brag an awful lot about how good-looking our moms are. Um, I don't know that I can do that with our dads, but they're a good group of guys, aren't they? Can we give these men a round of applause? Well, we want to honor our dads today, so I'm going to talk directly to you here in just a little bit. But we also wanted to honor you by giving you guys a gift. We have, we have candy bars. You guys are a sweet bunch, so we just want to make you sweeter. Um, so please take candy bars on your way out. Make sure that you get yourself a gift. Um, we we want to we love on you guys. So, um, and thank you. Um, I'm going to do this now so I don't have to do it later. I'll be mushy now. That way whenever it gets to uh, time for a sermon, I don't have to do it then. Um, there, these, these men, like there is a great group of fathers in this room. Um, and I am truly honored to be, to be counted amongst you all. And I thank you all for the support you've shown me and my family. And I know you've shown to others. So, so thank you men for being, for being good role models, for being the men that God's called you to be. So that's enough of the mushy stuff. Um, yes, that's what I have in the way of announcements. Does anybody else have anything that could be announced this morning? Yes. Okay, so at church camp, Tuesday is Christian Fellowship's day to serve um, out there. There's only a few volunteers so far, so please, if you are able, um, I know they would love to have the help, so, um, and you can talk to Lori, right? Okay, so Lori is your contact. If you are willing and able to help with that, I know that they would, they would take any help they can get. There you go. So, if she doesn't answer, leave a message. Or text. Or text. Also acceptable. Um, and is, yes, your phone number is, her phone number is in the bulletin, so y'all have it. I figured it was in there, but I had to look to be sure. <laughs> Anything else that needs to be announced this morning? How about prayer requests? Anything that could be updated, added? Yes. 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 So, Laura Schoonover, no longer Laura Schoonover, now Laura Lewis. Um, her and her husband, Colby, they are getting ready to go on their honeymoon. They were married yesterday, so exciting day for them. Um, but yes, pray for them as they're... They're on their travels. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Y'all know. Do y'all know Mitchell Corbin? Y'all met him? 
I hope you have. Well, it's good to see him here this morning. Um, I know that he's improving, but he's got a ways to go yet. So keep, keep on praying for Mitchell. I know not only is it appreciated, but it's needed. And we have the privilege of going to God on their behalf. So keep praying for Mitchell and Donna. It's also good to see Antonio back. Yeah, he's back after his excursion across Texas. It's uh, good to see him, and Lord willing, he's going to get to share a little bit with us here in a few weeks. So it's good to see him here this morning, too. Well, if that's it, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I come to you thankful. Um, it is, it's a good day to be gathered together, and it's good to see brothers who are, who are able to be back with us this morning. Um, Lord, I, I know that for various reasons, some of us haven't been able to gather together, Lord, but it's always good when, when we can gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, people who are, who are brought together by nothing other than your love for us. So, God, I'm thankful, thankful that we could be gathered here. I'm thankful that Mitchell is back with us today. God, I pray that you would allow his heart to continue to heal. God, um, I just pray that you would continue to strengthen his heart. Lord, I'm thankful that Antonio's back also. I'm, glad, I'm just glad that he could go on this trip and that he's got to see you work in some incredible ways, Father, and the way that's bolstered his faith, Lord. So I'm thankful, again, that we could be here today. Lord, um, I, I do want to pray also for those, those of our number who are gone today for various reasons. I know we have some who are who are sick today, God, I pray that you would bring health back to their bodies. But Lord, I pray that, that even now that they would know that they're loved and that they're missed and that uh, their, their family cares for them, their church family cares for them. So Lord, uh, I pray for those who are, who are sick, Lord. And I also pray for those who are away because of um, happier reasons. Lord, I'm thankful for this marriage that we got to celebrate yesterday. And I know that right here in our fellowship, we have more to come in the, in the next few weeks and over the next couple months. God, and I'm just so thankful for the gift you've given us in marriage. I pray that you would bless these marriages, God, that you would really let them be built around your love and grace and kindness and mercy, and that we could reflect the world uh, through, through the love that you've given us through marriage, God. So um, I thank you for specifically for Colby and for Laura, and God, I pray that you would allow them to have a good time on their trip, Lord, um, and I pray that you would keep them safe and let them grow closer together. Um, Lord, today, especially today, I want to thank you for fathers. Um, Lord, I know that you've, uh, my experience is a little bit unique in the way that I've got to experience so many, uh, the love of so many great fathers in my life. Um, Lord, of course, I'm thankful for my, my biological father, God, but I'm thankful for so many others who have invested in me. Um, Lord, and I'm, I'm, most, I'm most thankful, though, that you, you are the good father that you've loved us, that you've come near to us, that you're always there for us, that you pick us up when we're down and that you encourage us even when we're, even when we're up. So, Lord, I, I thank you so much for being our Heavenly Father. 
Lord, I pray that today, today as we go throughout our time, we would want to know you more. Um, God, I pray that we would be able to know you more. So God, I pray that you would renew our minds, that you would, that you would transform our minds, that we would think biblically, that we would think like you do, that we would see things from your perspective. So Lord, as we sing, I pray that our hearts would come to you. Father, as we receive communion, I pray that we would set our minds on Christ. And Father, as we hear your word, I pray that we would strive to look like him. Lord, I thank you for this time, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing, so I would invite you all to stand with us as we sing. Stop the Lord Almighty. 
Your glory, God, is what our 
Well, um, our communion meditation is going to look a little bit different today. Um, Alan Yoakum was scheduled to do this, and last minute he wasn't able to be here. So um, we have a little bit different communion meditation to give you all here. Um, so I would go ahead and invite our servers if they would like to come. Now we will, uh, we will go with this version of a communion meditation today. Of course, we did have a storm last night, so things have been a little bit complicated in the sound booth this morning. Have you ever wondered why every once in a while at church, people eat a small piece of bread and drink a tiny bit of juice? Is it just snack time, or is there more to it than that? Well, this has a lot of different names, but for today, we'll call it communion. And communion is something that the church has done for thousands of years. But what exactly is communion? Why do we do it? To answer that, we should look all the way back at the very first communion. Before Jesus went to the cross, he had one last meal with his disciples. While they were all there, Jesus took a cup and told his disciples to divide it among themselves. Then he broke up some bread into smaller pieces and gave a piece to each of his disciples. When Jesus had them all take and eat the bread, he said, this is my body. The bread represented his body that would be broken. When they all took the cup, Jesus told them, this is my blood. The cup represented his blood that was going to be poured out as a sacrifice for them on the cross. When they ate the bread and drank the cup, he told his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. This is why we take communion, to remember Jesus and what he did for us. The bread and the cup are physical symbols that Jesus gave us to remind ourselves of something much bigger that he did for us. So let's talk about the bread for a second. This isn't the first time that Jesus compared himself to bread. In John 6:48, he said, I am the bread of life. What he meant by that was, just like our physical bodies need food to stay alive, our spirits need food too. Otherwise, they'll starve. When we eat the bread, we should remember that just like physical food sustains our physical lives, Jesus sustains us spiritually. Without Jesus, our spiritual bread, we would starve. Also, just like the bread that he broke and handed to his disciples, his body was about to be broken. Because Jesus' body was broken, they could be made whole. The same is true for us. When we eat the bread, we should remember that Jesus' body was broken the day he went to the cross. Because of that, we can have healing. Not just physical healing, but emotional healing and spiritual healing as well. Jesus was broken, just like the bread, so that we could be made whole. Now, let's talk about that cup. Back before Jesus came to earth, when people sinned, the only way to be right with God was to sacrifice an animal that had no imperfections. That may sound kind of weird, but that's how seriously God views sin. The Bible says that the cost of sin is death. So every time they sinned, they had to sacrifice another animal, and even still, they weren't changed on the inside. But all of those sacrifices with their emphasis on blood were a picture of the real sacrifice that would be coming and would change people from the inside. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. When we drink the cup, we should remember that it is only because of Jesus' blood that we are able to be born again into God's family. Without Jesus' sacrifice, we would be doomed to be separated from God forever because of our sin. 
So the bread and the cup are just a physical way to remind us of the amazing thing that Jesus did for us. First and foremost, communion is a time to remember. Remember what Jesus did for you. Remember that only he can sustain you spiritually and that his body was broken so that you could be made whole. Also, remember that his blood was spilled to pay the price for your sins so that you could be a part of God's family. Communion is also a time to examine ourselves. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight that we should examine ourselves before we take communion. Communion's a serious deal. We need to take it with the right attitude. This is a good time to ask yourself questions like, is there something that I need to ask forgiveness for? If so, now's the time to do that. Or maybe ask yourself, am I living a life that brings honor to the broken body and the blood that Jesus spilled for me? If not, take the time to ask forgiveness and commit to living a life that brings honor to Jesus before taking communion. Communion is a great time to examine ourselves. Lastly, communion is a time for community. A lot of times when we take communion, we use pre-prepared, already broken up pieces of bread rather than using one singular loaf of bread that we split up. So it's easy to forget the significance of the picture that we are all a part of one body, the body of Christ. Because Christ's body was broken, we can all be united in that one body, no matter who we are, young or old, big or small, rich or poor. If we've made Jesus our Lord, we are bound together as one body. It's the broken body and the blood of Jesus that binds us together as a family. So communion is a time to remember what Jesus did for us. It's a time to examine ourselves on whether we're living a life that honors Jesus or not. And it's a time for community. Remember that no matter what background you come from, when we're a part of God's family, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. come around, I would invite you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you know him as your Savior, hold these elements and we'll receive them together.
you take the bread, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, we receive this bread, remembering just like, just like we were reminded just a moment ago what this represents, we're reminded of your broken body that makes us whole. God, I thank you for willingly laying down your life for the sake of ours, for the sake of your church, God. And I, I just, we praise you for it as we receive this bread. We pray this in Jesus' name. Take and eat. And if you would take the juice, let's pray. Father, likewise, we, we thank you for your blood which was shed for the forgiveness of many sins. God, I thank you that you loved us enough to be the perfect sacrifice that we all desperately needed. Lord, um, I just pray that we would remember the great cost. Um, not, not our cost, but your cost. God, what you paid for us, Lord, I thank you for it. And we remember that as we receive this juice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take and drink. We're going to continue to sing together. I'd ask that you all would stand.
before you do that, um, you know what? I think we ought to greet one another this morning. So can we have a greeting time here? You guys okay with that? I didn't call the audible, but you know what? Let's, let's get up and greet one another, tell each other how good looking you are, all that fun stuff. good? 
Ooh, there it is. Yeah, well, whenever I'm messing with a thing, it kind of does that. Yes, ma'am. Is this slider getting worn out? Uh-huh. Up and down, up and down. All right. Well, um, it actually turns out I have a couple of announcements that were overlooked this morning. So if you want to hear the big news, now's the time to quiet down. Um, of course, it's my fault that you were up and moving anyway, so you can blame me. Um, first of all, I was told, you know what, we didn't say a praise for the rain. We've needed rain, and we did get it, so thank God it rained. Um, the other thing I was asked to remind you all is that there is another wedding Saturday at 2 o'clock that the church is invited to. Um, some of you know Sarah Dudek is getting married. Um, if you weren't aware of that, well, the church was invited to that wedding Saturday at 2. Um, where did Ann go? She was just here. She just told me to remind people about that. James is in here. W- where? At the Dome in St. Joseph. Is that correct? Excellent, excellent. So I was asked to remind you all that you were invited to that. So with that said, I can move on to the next thing. And I have another video for you all today. And I thought this was a good way to introduce a sermon on Father's Day. Dad, do you love Mom? I do. How much? Gobs and gobs. Dad. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you love my brother? Connor? (laughs) I do. How much? Gobs and gobs. Dad, Mm -hmm. do you love God? Yeah. How much? Gobs and gobs. Dad, Uh do you love me? Hmm. Dad. (laughs) I do. How much? Um, I already know. Gobs and and gobs. Dad, Mm -hmm. how much is a gob? Let me put it like this. Your favorite color is yellow. And when you eat those Nutter Butter cookies, you always scrape the peanut butter out of the middle and you secretly feed it to the dog because you think the dog deserves a treat too. At nighttime, I know before you go to bed, you always pull your Barbies all together because you don't want them to be lonely. And sometimes when you get a little nervous, you bat your eyes like this. They get really, really, really fast. But when you're happy and when you're excited, you always twirl your hair right beside your ear. And you love your mama's red earrings. And you always seem to eat your green beans one at a time. You see, my love, I notice you, and I love being your daddy, and I will always be here for you, even on your best days, even on your worst days, your daddy loves you and will always be here for you, and that, my dear, that's what a gob is. I gob you too, daddy.
clicked if I just trusted James there with that, but I thought loving gobs and gobs was an appropriate way to begin on Father's Day. So, um, Children's Church, if kids would like to go, um, there is help back here in the back. So if you have uh, kids two, three, four years old wanting to go to Children's Church, there is help back here. (sighs) So um, let me pray before we open God's Word together today. Father, I thank you again for Father's Day, Lord, for this day that we get to celebrate um, the great fathers that we have, um, Father. But I know that that's not the case for, for some. Some have either, today, today can be a painful day because they've either lost a father or they reflect on their childhood and, and they struggle with those memories of their father. Um, but God, even then, we know that we have a good Father who loves us and gave himself for us, who showed us what a good father looks like. We know that we have you. Uh, So Lord, I pray that today as we we consider this idea of biblical fatherhood, um, I pray that we would look to see what your word says and we would let it shape the way that we we live as fathers, as, as children, as wives. God, I pray that we would let your word shape us more than anything else. So God, help us, guide us, and direct us. Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I think since I showed you that video, uh, I would like to start with another, I would like to keep going with another story. Um, And every good story starts with four famous words. And you all know what those four famous words are with a good story? Once upon a time. Yeah, you guys got that. Once upon a time. So, once upon a time, there was a young man. This young man was about 25 years old, and he had been married for about four years, happily married to his wife. And one day, she comes to him and tells him that he's going to be a father for the first time. The man was overcome with joy, just absolutely overcome with joy. This is the very thing that he'd wanted to be his entire life. Ever since the time he was a a little boy, if you'd asked him what he wants to be when he grows up, he would tell you, I want to be a dad. He, He wanted to be a dad more than anything. So he and his wife, when they found out that they were expecting their first child, they cried tears of joy together as they celebrated the coming of their first child. As the months went on, they seemed to have everything ready. They had the nursery all decorated. The crib was installed in the nursery. They had decorations on the walls. They had had the rocking chair right next to the crib so they could rock the child to sleep. They had a changing table ready. They had it all. They were ready to go. Out in the car, they had the car seat installed for about six months before it was time to have the child. They had an emergency bag in the car, so that way when the time came, they were ready to rush to the hospital to greet the coming of their new child. They had diapers, they had wipes, they had bottles, they had pacifiers, they had a laundry list of things, longer than I am tall, all ready, waiting for this child. Basically, they were ready. They were ready. And then, of course, as fate would have it, one night came, and the woman woke the man up in the middle of the night to inform him that it was time to get to the hospital. So the man, still half asleep, did the best he could to get himself dressed and get around, help his wife get what she needed, and help her to the car. They arrived at the hospital, thinking that their newborn baby would arrive in just a few short hours. Some of you know that's not always how it works, though, right? 
As the hours passed and the baby hadn't arrived, the man began to realize that in all of his planning, he forgot something. Well, to make a long version of this story uh, move along just a little bit, uh, I'll keep some of the details of the next two very long days out of this story. Um, But after a great deal of mental stress on this man and a great deal of physical stress on the mother, their baby girl did finally arrive. Everyone was perfectly healthy. Everyone was doing well. Again, the man and the woman, they were overcome with joy. They just celebrated the coming of their newborn baby girl into this world. They held their girl. They cried over her. They loved her. They prayed over her. They did everything it seemed like they should do. The catch was that from this moment on, things didn't exactly go the way the man thought that they should Frustration quickly set in as the man realized that in all of his preparation, he had failed to really think about how he would be a father. What it meant to raise a child. How do you do that? Now, understand, this man, he had done all the right things. He had prayed for God to give him wisdom. He had he'd even had a great role model himself. So he thought, you know, okay, sure, I'm ready. But he had never actually asked the question... What does God expect of me? How do I raise this child? He had never considered things like, how will I love my wife when we are both sleep-deprived, stressed to our limits, and unsure of how to progress? Simply, the man forgot one thing. He forgot God. He had forgot to ask God, what is my responsibility? How do I raise this child? What is my job as a father? One of my favorite parts about many stories is the very end. So if you're reading it in a book, it often comes on the last page. Or if you're watching a movie, it's oftentimes the last screen. And at the very end of the movie, the screen goes dark and these words appear on the screen. It says, based on a true story. The story I just told you is based on a true story. Actually, I can tell you that with um, complete confidence because that's my story. Um, That is my story. Um, And I tell you that not just because I like to talk about my family, although I do, but because I'm afraid that many men never come to the same realization that I did that day. What does God expect of me as a father? For what am I responsible? Um, And I'm afraid that many fathers go through life never actually understanding that they are responsible to God for the way they raise their child. Um, now, we may know that on some surface level, but I think, it's, I think it's actually a pretty rare thing whenever a father stops and he says, okay, um, I have this child. And of course, I'm responsible to my child, I'm responsible to my wife, maybe even society. But I think it's very rare that we, we stop and we realize God has given us a high calling in raising up a child. How am I going to do that in a way that it honors God and it completes the goal that God has given me? So, I wanted to share some things that the Bible says about parenting, um, and I'm just going to be honest with you, there's not enough time to read them all, so, but I am going to give you a pretty good sampling here. Um, so, here's a few of these. I would like to start in Proverbs, right? You want to know how to be wise in your parenting? Let's start with Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 9 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and don't neglect your mother's teaching, for they will be a garland of favor for your head and pendants around your neck. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 1 says, "My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands." 
Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, very famous one. It says, start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Psalm, if you jump over to the Psalms, there's more wisdom about child raising. So Psalm, the 78th chapter, verses 1 through 7 says, My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our fathers passed down to us. We will not hide them from our children, but we will, we will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, His might, and the wondrous works He has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works but keep his commands. Or if you jump over to Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, it says, Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. Or another one that we're going to use more and more. Now, understand, this is all just straight from God's word. This is what God's word says about raising children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, which, by the way, is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 11, almost word for word. It says, these words that I am giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. These are just a small sampling a small sampling of the words we find in the Old Testament that have to do with parenting. Do you think they thought parenting was important? Oh, my word. Over and over and over again we find this. And that's not even going to the New Testament. And the reason I don't want to read those is because we're going to jump to them here in just a moment, and we're actually going to dive into one of them, hopefully, in a little more depth. But my point in reading all of these is this. Parents... You have been given a mandate by God to raise up your children in such a way that they might know the Lord. From God's word, your goal is that your children would learn and know the Lord. But how do we do that? Okay, that's the hard question. Like we know that's what we're supposed to do, right? We want our kids to know Jesus, but how do we do that? Well, today we're going to focus in on one verse where I believe we find two directives for parenting. Okay, so we're going to, we're going to jump to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, and some of this might sound familiar. If y'all would stand with me, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. And we're actually going to build on what we talked about about a month ago on Mother's Day. So if you would open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may live and you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I want to read that last verse again. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Thank God for his word, and you may be seated. One verse. Two directives um, that I think are incredibly important, especially as we consider biblical fatherhood. 
What does it mean to be a father? How do we raise our children to know the Lord? And just so you know, if you're not a father in the room and you're thinking, well, okay, so you're just going to talk about fathers all day and this really has nothing to do with me because I'm not a dad, well, you're wrong because even if you're not a father, I promise you know one, right? You guys just saw all these good-looking guys standing up around the room. You know a father, which means that even if you're not a father, this should show you how to respond to your father. And if not to your father, it shows you how to encourage the fathers around you. Okay, so I want to challenge you all just a little bit as we read these directives that are directly for fathers as they raise their children. Okay, two directives for fathers. First, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now, I hope that sounds familiar to many of you because that's straight out of the Bible. Do not provoke your children to anger. That sounds easy, right? Don't make my kids too angry. Well, I don't know if you guys are like me, but occasionally I make my kids angry. <laughs> I see a lot of smiles and some head nodding going on. Like, yeah, uh-huh, my father makes me angry. No, no, but we'll get to that here in just a minute. Do not stir up anger in your children. I actually borrowed the language from the New King James Version for you NIV readers. Your version says, do not exasperate your children. But what does it mean to provoke, stir up anger, or exasperate your children? What is it that Paul's getting at whenever he says, do not provoke your children? Do not stir up anger in your children. Well, the word that's translated as stir up or provoke, this word is actually, it carries the idea of pressing someone's buttons or doing something that's really going to get under their skin just for the sake of getting under their skin, just for the sake of pushing their buttons. Now, I want to be very careful because this doesn't mean that you can't have fun with your kids, okay? And I'm so thankful for this. I have fun with my kids all the time, so I'm very thankful that this doesn't mean you can't mess with your kids a little bit. Um, anybody in the room ever heard of bubble guppies? All right, you can raise your hand. Do you guys know bubble guppies? Some of you do? Awesome. Bubble guppies is amazing, I love bubble guppies probably more than my kids do. Um, <laughs> Hunter Blazer, mm -mm. nope, nope, not for me. Okay, so I, I love bubble guppies, but there's this one thing in bubble guppies where um, uh, Mr. Grouper, the teacher, he always uh, says, it's time for lunch. And then, of course, the kids, they start singing this song, right? And it's like, what time is it? It's time for lunch. What time is it? It's time for lunch. What time is it? It's time for lunch. It's lunchtime. Hey, what's for lunch? And then there's always this goofy stuff for lunch, right? So I, that wasn't singing. That was bad. But anyway, um, so I, I love that, that thing. So my kids, my kids aren't really, two of them don't really grasp like hours and minutes. They don't really get that, but Molly does. So whenever Molly, she'll often ask me, Daddy, what time is it? And I'll just, it's time for lunch. And it's, then she always does the same thing. It's, Daddy, stop it. Um, so I'm very thankful that we can have fun with our kids. I don't believe that, that's, that this is saying, don't provoke your children to anger because she might get a little angry from time to time. But that's not what this is talking about. Okay, and I think we want to be careful because I think sometimes whenever we talk about don't provoke anger in your children or we talk about some of these, these limitations that the Bible sets, it's almost as if Christians can't have fun. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think Christians should have more fun than anybody else. <laughs> and I know some of you in this room agree. And I've seen some of you in action. Oh boy, I've seen some of you in action. Christians should be able to have fun. So that's not what this is talking about. You should absolutely be able to provoke your children to laughter, maybe by teasing them a little bit. But the Bible here says don't provoke them to anger. What does that mean? Well, 
since I'm still working this out myself and trying to do a better job of this myself, I borrowed this from the 19th century theologian named Albert Barnes. Um, he laid out three ways that the parents can provoke their children to anger. And I, just so you know, I'm stealing straight out of his commentary because I thought he did it really well. Okay? So he says there's these three ways you can provoke your children to anger. You can do it by unreasonable demands, by needless severity when it comes to discipline, or disciplining out of anger. Disciplining out of anger. I'm going to repeat those, and then we're going to walk through these, and I'll explain, explain what they mean. Unreasonable demands, needless severity, or disciplining out of anger. Those are the three ways that you can provoke anger in your children, according to Barnes. And I think he does a really good job of explaining it. So let's start with the unreasonable demands. There's a similar pas- passage in the Bible to, uh, to Ephesians 6, 4. There's a, similar, there's a similar verse over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. So that they won't become discouraged. The truth is, whenever you give your child a task, a task to do, I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself, are you being reasonable in assigning those tasks? Are you giving them something that is possible for them to accomplish? Look, it would be, I'm just going to give you an example because I know that this is kind of silly. Um, but it would be like right now I told you all to jump up and touch the ceiling. And if you don't, if you don't, then you're going to spend time in jail. That would be unreasonable for me to ask of many of you, right? Honestly, if I had a ladder, I still couldn't jump up and touch the ceiling. So I don't think many of you probably could either. Some of you are thinking, I could touch that. I can get it. Some of you young guys, I see it. Yeah, you're thinking it. No? Okay, maybe not. So, that would be an unreasonable demand. But see, I think many children fail in their task because the tasks that we're giving them are unreasonable to expect of a child. Now, it might be reasonable for you as an adult to accomplish these tasks, but that same task is unreasonable to expect a child to do. And I've encountered this a number, encountered this a number of times with my own children, where I've given them a task to do, and they just aren't capable either mentally or physically to accomplish the task that I've given them. Am I, am I doing something silly here? I don't know. Something's happening, but do I need to stop moving? If I don't move at all, is this good? It's going to be really hard to do this, you know, so I got to turn the page at some point. So, are we giving them reasonable tasks? Now, that also doesn't mean that we can't challenge our children. That's not what that means at all. As a matter of fact, I hope you do challenge your children a little bit. Push them so that they can grow. But what this means is that whenever we give them a task, we set reasonable expectations for them. And then whenever they do fail to meet those difficult tasks, the, the repercussions to failing are within reason. We need to be wise about the way we set up the consequences for not meeting a given task. Okay? Which actually ties nicely into the next part, which is the needless severity. Now we're going to talk about discipline here in just a minute, which is everybody's favorite topic. Um, so we're going to get there in just a minute, but hang in there. Okay? But what Barnes is getting at here is not to be overly severe in your punishment. That doesn't mean that we don't discipline our children. We'll see that that's an important part of parenting. But instead, whenever we do issue discipline, it needs to fit the crime, so to speak. So, needless severity is also something that can stir up anger in a child. The third thing he points to here is when discipline is a manifestation of anger. And if I'm just being as transparent as possible, this is something I struggle with. This, and I, if I'm being completely honest, I think most fathers struggle with this. 
Again, we'll talk about discipline here in just a moment. But whenever our discipline comes as a manifestation of anger, it works poorly in a few ways. First of all, it will often lead to needless severity in our discipline. Every one of us has been emotionally angry. We've gotten angry and we've said or done things that we don't think we would normally do. Y'all ever said something like, I just got so mad I saw red? Or, you know, I just, I just, I just couldn't help it. Like, I was so angry, I just couldn't stop it. I said something I shouldn't have said. I did something I shouldn't have done. All because we were so mad. Like, I've said before, I'm so angry I just can't even see straight. Y'all ever been there? If you discipline out of that kind of anger, it leads to needless severity. And I think most of us have been there. But I want to urge you, don't let this be you whenever it comes to disciplining your child. Don't let this be you whenever it comes to disciplining your child because it's only going to provoke them to anger. And the second reason you don't discipline out of anger is because if you're angry, what do you expect out of your child? Like if your child knows anger, what do you think they're going to learn and latch on to? Probably going to learn and latch on to anger. So I want to be very careful with this whole monkey see, monkey do thing, but your child is often going to reflect your demeanor. Um, a pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says it this way. He says, when you are disciplining a child, you should, first, you should have first controlled yourself. What right do you have to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? So first of all, check yourself. Um, one, of the men, one of the fathers who I, I looked up to um, most, actually, he's, he's passed now, um, but I remember him talking about disciplining his children and how he, he did his best to never discipline his children when he was angry. Instead, whenever his children needed discipline, he determined he was going to send his children to their room, go to your room, and he took time to cool himself off, and then he went and issued whatever discipline was necessary. And I thought that was extremely wise, extremely wise. Now, that's really hard to do because, like most guys, I think we've all seen red before. But we need to be in control of ourselves. We need to discipline ourselves before we discipline children, okay? So don't let that be you who disciplines out of anger. And Barnes, who I already quoted, says it this way. He says, fathers should punish a child not because he is angry, but because it is right. Not because it has become a matter of personal contest, but because God requires that he should do it. Right? That was the first part of this back in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Right? Where it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Our job as fathers and really as mothers is to teach our children right from wrong. It's to teach them this is the right thing, this is the wrong thing. So whenever we discipline, we don't discipline because we're angry. We discipline because they need to know right from wrong. Um, another quick personal story, just, I, I ran into this very thing just yesterday, just yesterday. My children, like children do, they were fighting, okay? I've got a five and a three-year-old, right? So my three-year-old decides, because he wasn't getting his way, he, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to hit his brother, okay? So he hit his brother. His brother was upset. So he comes, he tells me, and I have to go explain to my child, like, you are, you're going to be you're going to deal with the consequences of your actions now. It's hard to explain that to a three-year-old, but you have to try. So I explained to my three-year-old, you're going to deal with the consequences of your actions. Not because I want to discipline you, but because you have to learn right and wrong. Hitting is wrong. 
Now, that's a very basic and a very simple example of that, which, by the way, was flipped just about an hour later where the other one hit the other, and I had to go through the same spiel with a five-year-old. So it doesn't always stick the first time either. But the task is, in discipline, is teaching right from wrong. This is wrong. Don't do this. And whenever you do, there are consequences to those actions. We have to be careful in those moments not to provoke our child to anger. In doing that, are we controlling ourselves Or are we just disciplining out of anger? Are we being overly severe in our discipline? And are we really just stirring up anger in our child? So, what does Paul mean whenever he says not to stir up anger in our children? I believe he's saying not to be unreasonable, unnecessarily harsh, or angry in our discipline. Be very careful about the way we take care of our children. Do not provoke anger in your children. Second, second directive we get here from God's word is that fathers, you are to disciple your children in Christ. I'm just going to stand up. Disciple your children in Christ. Um, I thought about breaking this down into two parts, into training and instructing. um, But then I thought, you know, somebody will get after me for just basically reading the Bible to you. Um, So that's what it says, though. That's what he says. He says, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This word bring them up carries the idea of nourishing or nurturing. Um, it's actually used just a few verses earlier back in Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verse 29, where he's talking about the body. He says, no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it. And it's that same word here that is used for bringing up your child. So nourish or provide or care for your child. That's your task. But how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us two parts to this. First of all, he says, in the training, in the training. This word training is, it's discipline. That's what this word means. That's how you train. So, this word actually specifically deals with the discipline of a child. It comes from the same Greek word where we get our word child. So, raising a child, it's important to discipline I find it interesting that this command comes right after the warning against stirring up anger. Discipline must be controlled and for a purpose. But there are too many scriptures to ignore the idea of discipline. Because it has become increasingly popular, especially even amongst church circles, to say, well, we need to, we need to not discipline. Instead, we need to be graceful. We need, to, we need to be less on the discipline side, more on the grace side. See, I want to be very careful with that because there's all kinds of scripture that talks about disciplining your child. Here's a few. Let's jump back to Proverbs Proverbs for just a minute. It says, The one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. Or Proverbs chapter 23, verses 13 to 14, it says, Don't withhold discipline from a youth. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod, and you will rescue his life from Sheol. Or Proverbs 29, 17, it says, Discipline your child, and it will bring you peace of mind and give you delight. And it's not just Proverbs. Jump to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. And this is actually in the context of God's discipline with reference to the way fathers discipline their children. It says, It says, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is an incredibly important part of raising up children. Now, I'm not going to get into the right or wrong methods of discipline. That's beyond the scope of what we're dealing with today. Um, But 
Let me simply say, if you are not disciplining your child, you are not obeying the biblical responsibility that's given to parents. It's black and white and occasionally red. But make sure when you discipline, you do it in a biblical way. So the second part, not only are we training or disciplining, but the second part here is instructing or teaching. Okay, And that's what this is. This is discipleship. That's what it means to instruct and to teach, is to disciple. Parents, disciple your kids. Grandparents, disciple your grandkids. Teach them what it looks like to be a godly man or woman. And this involves teaching your children. And I told you just a few weeks ago that your primary responsible isn't to make sure that your kids get good grades, that they get a good job, that they marry a good man or woman, that they go to church, and which all of those things, by the way, are good things. All of those things are perfectly fine. But that's not your primary responsibility as a parent. Your primary job is to raise them to know and to serve Jesus. That's your job. That's the concept of Titus chapter 2 that we're going to be looking at here in about a month, if the Lord wills. So... This idea of Titus 2 is that the older men raise up younger men. They teach them. They deliberately go out of their way to teach them. And fathers, you need to do this with your children. Teach them. Disciple them. Teach them what it means to be a godly man or woman, someone who's following after Jesus. And likewise, Paul talks about, in Titus, he talks about the older women teaching the younger women, which means, or teach them what it means to be God-fearing women. That's, it's right there. Even if you don't have, even if you say, my children are all grown, I'm done with that phase. No, you're not. There are still younger men and women who need you to step up alongside them and encourage them and show them what it means to be a godly man or woman so that they can teach their children and the next generation. If you notice, back whenever we read that passage in Psalms, it talks about a generation not even born yet. Like, we're talking not just about this generation that's here now. We're talking about my grandkids, and my great-grandkids, and my great-great-grandkids. And you might think, I'm not going to be around when you have great-great-great-grandkids. You know what? I probably won't be either. But the fact of the matter is, you still have a responsibility to them, which seems mind-blowing. But I can't wait till the day that my great-great-great-grandkids start looking back over their history of faith. And they say, you know what, I'm so thankful that my, my father was a godly man. I'm so thankful that my grandmother was a godly woman. I'm so thankful that my great-grandparents wanted to know and serve King Jesus because they passed that along to their kids, who passed it along to their kids, who passed it along to their kids, and it made its way to me. Is that what your kids are going to see when they start looking back? Is that what they're going to find? A legacy of people who wanted to know Jesus and pass that along. Now, men, I know we have a tendency to get caught up in our work. Now, not to say women don't, but I think, that that's ex- I think it's especially strong with men. We have a tendency to get caught up in our work. But please, I want to urge you, do not put your family on the back burner. Do not push them aside so that you can go and be successful. I want to urge you not to because it's your job to model the faith and teach them the word of God. Now, I'm going to say something that might be a little bit controversial, just a, just a little I don't think it's too controversial. I think most of you will agree with it. But did you know that with your teens and your elementary age children, it's not primarily the church's job to teach your kids the Bible? Don't get me wrong. We have a role to play in that. And as a pastor, I want to be very careful about the way I say that. Because certainly I believe I have a role to play. But you know who has that primary task? Parents. So while I believe the church has a role to play, 
Parents, it's your job to teach your children God's word. I hope they hear it on Sunday mornings, but I hope they hear it Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. I hope you get the point. I know all seven days of the week, it's amazing, right? I hope they're hearing it in their homes and they're learning it because, parents, it is your job to disciple your kids. Think about it this way. If they spend two hours at the church building on a Sunday morning, and even then we'll say they have an hour throughout the week, sometime whenever they're here and they're, they're learning. Okay, that's three hours a week. But then they spend 40 to 50 hours at school and sports and all of these other things. What, who do you think is going to have the most influence on their mind and on their heart? It's not going to be the church. It won't be. That primary task falls to fathers to lead their homes. Lead your families. Fathers, you have an incredibly important role to play, and God's word is clear. Not only are fathers not to provoke their children to anger, but fathers, you are to disciple, both discipline and teach your children. So what? Well, how are you going to do this in your home? How are you going to do this in your home? Um, something I heard that was pretty profound, at least I thought it was profound, profound is, is um, nothing ever happens. Like, nothing is ever going to happen unless you know two things. You have to know how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And unless you know those two things, it's not going to happen. Like, okay, think about it like this. You say, I want to start reading my Bible. Are you actually going to continue to read your Bible if you don't know how to read the Bible or when you're going to read the Bible? If you don't have those things set, it's just not going to happen. Like, I've done this a number of times where I've thought, you know what, I'm going to start a brand new Bible reading plan. I've got this plan, but I haven't set when I'm going to do it. I'll say, oh, I'll do it sometime throughout the day. That time of the day never comes. It just doesn't happen. We might be good for about, I don't know, four or five days, but then at some point something else comes in and it pushes aside all this other stuff that we said was important. How and when. So I want to ask you, how and when are you going to do this in your home? I told you last week I'd been listening to the audio book, uh, Faith Driven Family, by a guy named Vody Bacham, and I, I have really enjoyed that book, and I highly recommend it to anybody who has a family or knows somebody with a family. By the way, that's all of you. Um, so I highly recommend this book. But, uh, and I want I to admit that this may look different for each family. Um, I'm just going to tell you how we do this in our home, and you can decide whether this is right or wrong or if it fits what your family needs or not. But I do think it's a good idea to have a time, a time that you have what Vody calls family worship. I think it's a good idea, okay? And what this looks like in my home is very simple. We always have a before bedtime in my home. There's always a before bedtime. Every day there's a before bedtime. So before we can go to bed, we have something we've got to do. So we gather together in the living room as a family, all of us. We get around, we open God's word, we read a section of scripture, and we pray together. It's, it's very simple. I mean, it doesn't take all that much time, but it does give us an opportunity to open God's word. It gives my children an opportunity to ask questions, and it gives them a chance to see their father and their mother praying to God and also opening the scriptures and reading it. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, okay, well, that works well for your family. I'm going to challenge you just a little bit. It can look that way in your family. I said I wasn't going to sit down. I lied. Please forgive me. Now, I also want to admit that in my home, this doesn't always look perfect. You're thinking, I can't get my kids to sit down for five seconds, let alone five minutes to read the Bible to them. And I'll be honest with you, there are nights where it's very frustrating to do this. I've got young children, too. I know what that looks like. Or you might be thinking, you know what, I've got teenagers, and they're so busy, I just can't do that. They're so busy all the time. We just can't. 
Well, I'm sorry, but you can. You can. It's just a matter of whether or not you will. And I want to challenge you. I know that this, is, this seems like it's pretty strong, but I think it's because it needs to be strong. There's nothing more important than teaching your kids about Jesus. Like, literally, eternity is at stake. How will you train your children? How will you disciple your children? And if they don't see you reading God's word, are they going to think it's important to dad? Are they going to think it's important to mom? So, I want to challenge you. Find a way to make this happen. Again, it doesn't have to look exactly like it does with my family, but I challenge you. I challenge you. Figure out how and when you are going to have a time of family worship. And then commit to doing it. Commit to doing it. Whether that's for a month or it's for two months, commit to doing it. Set this time aside and say, everything else can move. This isn't going to. We are doing this. Whether that's seven days a week or it's five days a week or it's four days a week, just determine we are doing this at this time on these days and then move everything else, but don't let anything move those. So determine how and when. And just so you know, I've talked a lot to dads, but moms, if your husband isn't home or if you are a single mother or your husband isn't willing to step up and do it, lead your children. Teach them God's word. Do what you have to do to get God's word into your children. The fact is the children need their parents to disciple them, whether they're 8 years old or they're 18 years old. Honestly, I'm 33 years old. In a lot of ways, my dad is still discipling me. Don't quit discipling your children. And the fact of the matter is you're here today, which I believe is a good start. Teach your children it's important to gather together with the body, so I'm thankful you all are here. I really am, that you are showing your children that it's important to gather with the body. But don't let that stop when you walk out the doors. Don't let it stop. I'm going to steal a little bit from Deuteronomy 6. Don't let it stop whenever you walk out the doors. Instead, repeat God's word to your children. Talk about it whenever you sit in your home and when you're driving down the road. Talk about it before bed and in the morning. Talk about God's word as you demonstrate it through your actions and your words. Um, Mark your place, your home, as a place of worship when your kids, where your kids are learning God's word. Mark it. Let it be a place for him. And if your children are grown and you're thinking this isn't you, again, you're just wrong because there are people who need encouragement. I promise you. If you remember, even if your children are grown, remember what it was like having young kids and how much encouragement you could have used? Yeah, I know how important that is. Now, again, we have some great fathers in here, and I've received encouragement from many of you, so I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but please continue to come alongside young families and help them raise their kids, not overbearing, but lovingly encouraging them and teaching them. Last thing I want to address, and then I'll be done. There are some people who will say, well, I don't know enough to teach my kids. I've, I've heard that. Like, I don't know enough about it myself in order to teach my kids what it means to follow Jesus. Like, I'm still learning myself. You know what? I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old, which means I've been a Christian for 21 years. I still don't always know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. God's teaching me new things every day. You're never going to know enough. So teach what you do know and keep building from there. Keep building from there. Okay, so learn alongside your kids. Read God's word together and strive to know God and his will. That's my challenge for y'all. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for fathers. And Lord, as we, as we reflect on what it means to be a father, I pray that you would let us, let us be the men that you've called us to be.
Um, Father, I pray that we would take the mandate that you give in your word to raise up godly offspring. God, I pray, pray that we would take that calling seriously. God, because I think there are very few callings in life that are bigger than that. So, Father, help us because we can't do it on our own. Guide us because we desperately need you to show us the way. And, Lord, just just be there with us because, above all, we need you. So, God, I pray that you would live and breathe and move inside of the fathers in this room and in our community. God, I pray that you would show us what it means to be godly fathers. Lord, help us reflect your love and your grace and your kindness and your mercy and your justice to our families. Lord, and I also want to pray for, for our mothers, that they, that they would know how to come alongside their husbands and to, to support them and to encourage them and to love them. God, and I pray that these husbands would also love their wives as you love your church. God, I pray that you would give us that kind of a love. Lord, and we would want nothing more than to see our families shown the way they should go, and that they would walk in it. So, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Father, I, I, lastly, I want to pray for, uh, for our kids. Lord, it, we wouldn't be fathers without our children, so we'd kind of be missing the point if we didn't pray over them. Father, so I pray for our kids right now, not just that they would behave right or that they would be um, the perfect picture of a child, but instead, Lord, I want to pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, I want to pray that you would come and that you would call them to yourself, that they would receive your grace in their lives, that they would know the truth, that Jesus died for their sins. Father, and I pray that you would save them um, as only you can. So, Father, I pray that we would do well in raising children, but, Father, I pray that you would save those children. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing a song. Um, And I think it's appropriate now that we're singing I Surrender All as we talk about what it means to be a biblical parent. Um, Because really our children, they ultimately belong to Jesus. They don't belong to us. Now we might give an answer for how we raise our children, but um, I just want to challenge you. As you think about the words of this song, I would challenge you also to think like all, it means all, including our children. Everything is surrendered to Jesus. So would you all stand with me as we sing number 596. We're going to sing verses 2 and 3.
Father, I want to just echo those words that we just sang. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and fill us. Lord, let us know your power. Let us know your presence, God. Make us wholly thine. God, as we go throughout our time, God, as we go throughout our week, I pray that we would do what we just sang, that we would truly surrender everything, every part of our lives, every, every nook and cranny, everything that we want to keep hidden. God, I pray that we would surrender it to you. So, Father, right now, I pray that as we go through these doors, that we would go and we would live lives completely and totally surrendered to you. Lord, we thank you that you laid down your life for us. And we do this just out of a love and knowing that you loved us first. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great day. Positive.